Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. You're listening to Committed, a production of iHeartRadio. Early on, it, it was just figuring out how things work. Lieutenant Governor in Pennsylvania has a, a mansion and a staff and everything at the house. And, you know, even when I was campaigning, I said, if, if, if I win, I, uh, neither I nor my family is going to reside in this house. And I became the first Lieutenant Governor in, in Pennsylvania to not do that. In fact, I insisted that the, the state divest itself of that house, which it has. And last summer, Giselle opened the, the pool uh, in the house, this large, beautiful pool, open to children all across Pennsylvania. Yeah, there was never a question. It was like, we don't want the house. I was like, but we really want the pool. Like, I could do so much with this pool, and so many kids can, can be safe and learn how to be comfortable in a pool. So that took a little work, but everyone was really great and helped make it a, a reality. And we, honestly, it was just, it was the best summer. I wish we could have done it this summer again, but hopefully next next year. I never thought I'd be second lady. I don't, you know, when people ask me, where do you see yourself in five years? That's always a difficult question for me. So there's not an She's official- my number one troll, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm his number one troll. Um, but, you know, there's not an official role. I don't have staff or anything like that, but I do now have a slightly bigger platform than I've had before that I can work on issues I really care about for my constituents. So I continue to run my nonprofits, but also elevate issues that, that we really care about, you know, whether that's immigration, whether that's families and what families need to, to be able to thrive in this state. I get to do both now. Even if you live in Pennsylvania, like I do, you might not know the name of the lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor isn't usually a flashy position, but this year... A year unlike any other, no Pennsylvanian could forget John Fetterman once they saw him on TV, once they saw him and once they heard him speak. And a lot of you outside the state heard him a lot this year, as Pennsylvania was put right in the crosshairs of election controversy. Our Priscilla Liguori joins us live at the state capitol in Harrisburg with that story. Good morning, Priscilla. Good morning, James and Allie. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman and his wife Giselle are a hit on Twitter. They say they're serious when they need to be, but they use the app to connect with constituents and to simply make people smile. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed.
So in the past few months, there have been all kinds of news stories about John Fetterman and his wife, Giselle. Giselle, who is amazing, by the way, calls herself Slop. S-L-O-P, the second lady of Pennsylvania. I personally want Slop to be the name of a television show about John and Giselle's life together. These two are intensely committed to the state of Pennsylvania. They're both compassionate, and the best part is they're outspoken about that compassion. Talking to the two of them together, you get this sense that either of them would have completely thrived in public service and advocacy on their own. But together, they've been able to do it a dozen times more effectively. I freaking adore these two. So you guys might hear my kid because... And, You'll hear our, I and our dog you. and... <laughs> John and Giselle first met in 2007. At the time, Giselle was living in New Jersey and working in New York. That's when she read an article about a little town in Pennsylvania called Braddock. So at the time, John was a new mayor in Braddock. And I read an article about this community of Braddock, this community that had contributed so much, and then had kind of this mass exodus. A lot of the residents moved out, buildings were abandoned, and I felt some kind of connection to it. I read more and I learned that the steel that built my most favorite bridge, which is the Brooklyn Bridge, came from this region. And I just thought these were all signs. And I wrote a letter to the borough, sharing the work that I was doing at the time, working with food justice and food access and I wanted to visit and just learn more. Giselle's letter ended up with John. It just ended up on the mayor's desk. That's what happens when you write a letter to the mayor of a small town. See, John had first moved to Braddock in 2001 when he was serving with AmeriCorps to help disadvantaged teenagers earn their GEDs. Then he ran against the sitting mayor in 2005. He won that seat by just one vote. My political career started working in Braddock because I wanted to see some changes uh, occur and decided that running for elective office was the best way to go about doing that. And, and that's ultimately how it, it happened, started. I came to visit like a, the following month and um, I arrived and then he fell madly in love with me. And um, here we that, are. That, that's, <laughs> that's not true. That's, and she always says that. I, I, I dread this story because she always says that. And, and when you look at her and then you look at me, then you have to assume that that's true. But that's not, that's not true. If you haven't seen John Fetterman before, you should Google him right now. He's a tall guy, six feet eight inches, Bruce Willis style bald, some pretty rad tattoos. On his left arm, he's inked the numbers 15104. That's Braddock's zip code. Now, Giselle is little, real pretty. She's a fashionista. A couple of the Fetterman haters have compared the two to the Adams family's Lurch and Morticia. The Fettermans actually think that's hilarious. It's like she did come to visit, and, and that's what started the relationship. But yeah, I, it's, it, was, it was an unusual start for sure. <laughs> I love that. I love that you kind of fell in love with the region, and then John came along like as a as a as like a package gift like oh look look at the look at this place that's so interesting and oh here's a husband take it take him too i drove around braddock for a bit before i even met him i felt a connection to this area but so john you said that you didn't just immediately fall madly in love with her um how did it, how did it happen for you 
you should ask her how it happened because <laughs> she's the one that wrote and, and visited. I, I, I just was doing my thing and she, she wrote a letter and I said, oh, if you want to come, that's fine. Um, and then I guess that was in October of 07. And then I visited her in early November and it just proceeded from there. So, and then we ended up getting married in June of 08 up in Burlington, Vermont. And who proposed to who? I, I asked, uh, I, I asked, and neither one of us wanted like a, a, a wedding in the traditional sense or anything like that. And, you know, I always loved Vermont and thought, wow, this would be great if we just took a road trip up to Vermont and see how it worked out. And we ended up snagging uh, a justice of the peace, which also is, is also ironic because I officiate weddings all the time and did as a mayor. Uh, so I know that it's just like boom, boom, boom and done. And, and that's exactly what we did in the front yard of a justice of the peace up in Vermont. Over the next three years, they had three children. Three, three is a lot. Three is very different than two. Three put, kicks you into a different category. I, I find that in pairs, it, it, they, it's just easier. So. I mean, plus you're outnumbered, so they can like <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know, I, never you. Of, I never thought of it that way, but it's true. <laughs> Giselle settled into Braddock and started doing nonprofit work. John continued as Braddock's mayor. I never thought I'd be second lady. I don't. You know, when people ask me, where do you see yourself in five years? That's always a difficult question for me. I think I lived in in limbo and kind of in survival mode for a long time. I really try to be present and do a good job for the current moment. So I never really thought that far away. I, and still, I think I'm incapable of, of seeing that far away still. Why were you in limbo and survival mode? We, my family was undocumented in this country for nearly 15 years. So, you know, there was a lot of, it was a long time where we had to remain invisible. You know, we kind of had to survive that day. There was a knock at the door. Then there was a fear that our family would be deported. So we really were in survival mode for a really long time. And I think that sticks with you. And I think it's kind of trumped my ability to, to really see way down the road. No, I'm very grateful for, you know, my experiences have informed how I think and how, you know, the work that I do. And I'm really grateful for that. You know, I don't have any material attachments. I, when I was seven and I had to pack my whole life into a suitcase. And at seven, everything seems really important. I remember thinking like, how do I pack my bedroom into one suitcase? How do I pick my most important things? Because everything felt really important when you're seven. But I think it's, it's created this space where nothing is, I'm not attached to anything material. Nothing, none of those things matter, I've learned. One of my favorite stories about John and Giselle's marriage is about their fourth wedding anniversary. It started when John asked Giselle what she wanted as a present. I think we're really difficult to, to gift, you know, to give each other gifts because neither one of us are have any attachment to anything really material. So it's, I think it's, we're hard to give gifts to. So we got to a place where we just asked, like, is there something you'd like? And he did. And I said, well, I want a shipping container. And to his credit, it, he wasn't even like, like why, you know, he didn't even need to understand why he needed a 40 foot steel shipping that's not, container. That, that's not true. You were just so supportive. No, you, no, you wanted a 20 foot one. And I said, you need a good one and you need a 40 foot you one. You did push and for a we, bigger one. And that became uh, her free store. And I think of all the thousands of people she has helped clothe, feed, comfort from that original, you know, container. 
The free store is exactly what it sounds like. They distribute food and other goods that people need completely free. A free store. There is no transaction other than if you need it and they have it, you get it. And diapers are always in high demand, formula in Braddock because of my wife's efforts. No child ever goes without clothing, diapers, and formula. And that's a fact. And the way she's configured it in a manner that allows stores to offload surplus or people to provide it out of their generosity. And as a direct pass-through is a testament to her conviction. And she said something really profound in an interview that we had earlier. She said, what I try to do now as a professional nonprofit is how, you know, what would have helped my mom when she needed help when I was little? And I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And that's what she does. She, she truly does. You know, when I came to this country, when we were young immigrants, we furnished our home with things that we found in the curb. We learned about dumpster diving, and I saw what was discarded, and it was shocking to me. Moving here as a child from Brazil, from a country where people literally die of starvation with no safety net, moving to a country where I just saw excess and how things were so disposable here. So I, we were able to create these partnerships with retailers and with grocery stores to receive those surplus items and redistribute them to those in need. What Giselle did is, is like she talked to Trader Joe's and Costco and said, if you give this to us, we'll come pick it up in a pickup truck and we'll hand it out. And it's remarkable how much great food is thrown away for no reason other than they got new stuff or there was a bad label or whatever. It's really shocking. And I wanted to show that, you know, food insecurity in this country is not an issue of supply because it isn't. And I mean, and, and in these politically divided times, no one unless you are a real fringe type, would rather throw good food in a dumpster than in someone's belly, you know? And that's the, the, the core premises of, of the free store is, is taking things that are wholesome and first quality, but for whatever reason are disposed or will be disposed and repositioning it into someone's refrigerator or on their dinner table is the essence of her work. And like I said, who can object to to that. I really believe in people and I believe that if you expect the most out of them, they will rise up to your expectations and we just have a really special place. And it's remarkable and and it's not because of me, I'm, I'm a bit player in it. That is my favorite anniversary gift. You have to beat that next, I don't know how. <laughs> hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. 
So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. In 2015, John decided to run for U.S. Senate. The race worked out, but I didn't ultimately win. And I put up a good showing and was really badly outspent. And then that set the stage to run for lieutenant governor in 26, excuse me, 2017. And, and then when I won in 2018, uh, it, it just felt like a natural transition simply because all of the challenges and all the issues that Braddock fa- is facing are just simply on a larger scale across Pennsylvania. So it, it wasn't something that left me, it, it actually left me incredibly well prepared for the role of understanding the challenges of Pennsylvania, actually. Early on, it, it was just figuring out how things work. And Lieutenant Governor in Pennsylvania has a, a mansion and a staff and everything at the house. And, you know, even when I was campaigning, I said, if, if, if I win, I, I, neither I nor my family is going to reside in this house. And I became the first Lieutenant Governor in, in Pennsylvania to, to, to not do that. In fact, I insisted that the, the state divest itself of that house, which it has. And last summer, Giselle opened the pool uh, in the house, this large, beautiful pool, open to children all across Pennsylvania. John's stance was that if his kids were allowed to swim in the lieutenant governor's pool, then every single child in the state should have the right to do that. We weren't able to do it this year with the pandemic, unfortunately, but my hope is, is that this coming summer and every summer that that pool is under my direct control, we would have children swimming in that from all across Pennsylvania that wouldn't otherwise have the chance to swim. Oh my God, we had, it was the best summer. The Harrisburg School District swam with us all summer, as well as a lot of other nonprofits and organizations. And the first day of swimming, they were all in the low side and very nervous. And just to see them on the last day, how confident they were in the water. They had all passed their deep tests and that's life-changing things. You know, it was, it was such a wonderful experience and I, I miss them. How did you guys come to the decision not to occupy the lieutenant governor's mansion? It was never, it was never a consideration, to be honest. It was just like the idea that the state should pay for a place to, for us to live or someone to cook our food or to clean our house and, you know, all this other stuff is, is, is so foreign and quite frankly, inappropriate. And just imagine this, just imagine this, you know, we're in a pandemic. People are dying and people are unemployed. They're risking eviction. And my family would be living in a mansion that you all are paying for and staffed and everything. It's just, you know, even before the pandemic, it was so distasteful of an idea. And it, you know, never spent a single night there, never would. For our listeners that don't know what a lieutenant governor does, why lieutenant governor? Why did you want to be lieutenant governor? It's the vice president of Pennsylvania. If the governor is unable to or resigns, I become governor, just the way the vice president would. And I'm president of the Pennsylvania State Senate. I chair the Board of Pardons and other functions across the, the government here in Pennsylvania. So, you know, my elevator pitch, it's like, well, I'm the vice president of Pennsylvania. And for the second lady, Giselle, you're incredibly active. You have, you definitely have a voice. I mean, obviously we just talked about the example of the pool. What has your role been as the second lady of Pennsylvania? So there's not enough- She's my number one troll, actually. (laughs) Um, I'm his number one troll, but you know, there's not an official role. I don't have staff or anything like that, but I do now have a slightly bigger platform than I've had before that I can work on 
on issues I really care about for my constituents. So I continue to run my nonprofits, but also elevate issues that, that we really care about, you know, whether that's immigration, whether that's families and what families need to, to be able to thrive in this state. I get to do both now. John was new in his job. He was only lieutenant governor for about a year when the pandemic hit. Never signed up to spend this much time with anyone. <laughs> so that was an adjustment. <laughs> He's looking at me confused. Um, you know, we we were together all the time. It was hard. And he was still working as lieutenant governor. I'm still running two nonprofits. And there's three kids here and a dog. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that time looking back now. You know, we, we've always been really close as a family, all of us. But we've learned that we can make it through through this time and we can really, I think, make it for anything. You know, Giselle lost some very beloved family members to COVID this year. That was difficult uh, for her, especially. Um, and drives home just how real this pandemic actually is and the consequences of it. And, you know, there are so many real heroes or really interesting people, you know, people that are frontline workers at grocery stores, frontline healthcare workers frontline first responders, you know, all of these people that were the face and the, the cutting edge for our country and kept us running when we didn't really know what this pandemic looked like. COVID is still fearsome, but it's not that same kind of mass panic and like, oh my God, uh, what does this look like back in March and so forth? So we're fortunate, but the real heroes uh, are the ones that, you know, again, had it and put it out there on the front lines this year. And I just can't emphasize how grateful I am to them. We're just a small, tiny part of, of the 2020 craziness, for sure. But at the end of the day, we count ourselves as profoundly lucky, uh, without a doubt. And then came November 2nd, Election Day. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. This is an ABC News election update. Morning, welcome back to our special coverage of election 2020. The vote's still being counted in all the key states right now, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And we're The results of the election came in slowly, as everyone predicted that they would. Actual election day came and went, and there was still no winner in Pennsylvania. But Joe Biden had slowly taken the lead. 
Welcome back to CBS This Morning and our continuing coverage of the 2020 election results. Former Vice President Joe Biden still has a substantial lead. His gains have nearly erased President Trump's early lead in Pennsylvania. That's led to protests by Trump supporters in Philadelphia and a series of vote fraud allegations by the president. With respect to this election, I'm as confused by it as, as anybody. Fetterman said some things that got under some people's skin. He said Donald Trump is, quote, no different than any other random Internet troll. And that the president can, quote, sue a ham sandwich. All I simply do is just continually emphasize these immutable truths that there was never any voter fraud in Pennsylvania. There hasn't been any voter fraud. And pushing back against this incredibly bizarre year that has been 2020. Uh, at every level. Suddenly, John Fetterman, Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, was everywhere. All over Twitter, memes on Instagram, and on every cable news program talking about the election in Pennsylvania. He was so vocal in defending the state against claims of fraud. Joining mm-hmm. us now, John Fetterman, the Democratic Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania. I want to go to Pennsylvania now. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman is going to join us now. Uh, Governor, give us a Joining us now, Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, Lieutenant Governor, do you... And when John was thrust into the national spotlight, so was Giselle. Giselle was verbally accosted at a grocery store. Uh, Has that been a month yet? I don't know. Yeah, you know, just that made national headlines. For me, what it showed was that, you know, if that no one was immune to to that, to that, that experience. If you fall under a certain category of other, there will always be someone that will view you as inferior. And it was a shock for me. I'm not a confrontational person. I never prepared to react in a situation. I mostly just froze and cried, but I was able to get the end of it. And what I really wanted was I wanted her to see herself and and not like who she saw. And I wanted so many others to see themselves in her and think like, that could have been me. And I don't want to be that person. I wanted this to be a moment of compassion because I know she wasn't born that way. I know that there were influences in her life that taught her to think that way, to see me as inferior just because I wasn't born in this country. We give what we have to give. And I was, I came from such love, you know, like my grandmother who's 94 still peels my grapes because she doesn't want me to choke, you know, like that's the kind of love that I know. And that's all I have to give. But I realized that a lot of people aren't that lucky. And I asked for her to be met with compassion and use this as a, I think, a growing and learning moment for everyone. I could not possibly express it any more beautifully and eloquently that Giselle just did. But with respect to that compassion, it's that, you know, I, w- I would welcome uh, to hear from her, you know, it, it, assuming she's moved along that arc. You know, this idea of forgiveness, this idea of redemption, as chair of the Board of Pardons, that's what I traffic in, is this idea. You know, having a terrible moment like that does not make you irredeemable. And my hope is is that she has, you know, changed and evolved. So yeah, this isn't a matter of, like, I never want to see her again. I I, I certainly would never want my wife to be subjected to that level of abuse. But if if she's been able to to evolve, I, I certainly wouldn't have any objection to that. It's a beautiful answer, especially in this world of, quote, cancel culture that we live in, right? That we're very quick to say, no, you're canceled instead of saying, hey, could we use this as an opportunity for grace and conversation and for you to see me? Thank you for that. And, and you know, like, 
we, I chair a board that decides whether or not somebody that was involved in a crime or directly did take someone's life for forgiveness and, and a chance at a second chance. So like, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I, I was so taken by Giselle's answer. Like, you know, we give what we can. And I can imagine she grew up in an environment that was bereft of a lot of that empathy or compassion or love. So uh, it's not anything that I, I don't think we ever took personally. I think it's more on the line of moving away from it and moving towards a, a better understanding. We obviously, we did not want any criminal charges pressed. I don't wish her any ill will. I only wish her an evolution towards a better understanding of kind of shared humanity. I would not ever hold it against her based on that one terrible moment, particularly because I, I believe in redemption. How has this very difficult year brought you guys closer together? I think we've developed an equilibrium now. I think early on we had, like a lot of families, you know, some difficulty and some stress and, you know, the kids not fully under, I mean, the closest thing I can relate to was when I was their age, Three Mile Island crisis occurred and we actually had to evacuate. I mean, we literally physically evacuated our home and we ended up going staying with our grandparents in Berks County. And I didn't really understand what was going on. I thought, oh, cool, we get to be, you know, I get to hang out with my grandparents and I miss school. But this is like a long-term thing and life isn't going to be the same for a while. That's jarring to you as a person because like this has certainly never happened in my, my lifetime. Uh, and you have to project a level of understanding and empathy and guidance to people that are really looking for that, uh, you know, in terms of your children. And feeling your way through those early months was quite frankly difficult, as I'm sure it was for everybody. And I think now there's a routine now and an understanding and everyone knows that it's gonna be, eventually it's gonna be okay. We're fortunate, our family did lose people and they don't get to see, I, I've seen my father once since February, but it's not gonna last forever. I think we've emerged on the other side, hopefully the way other families have is, you know, stronger and, and also getting a chance to appreciate getting to spend more time with each other than we would have otherwise had under normal circumstances. Yeah, and, and, and the most frustrating are virtual school days and, and all of that. You know, we're still grateful that we have internet access and our kids can do that. And so many families don't still in the state. And it comes up with a gratitude, but also this this deep awareness that, you know, these were equity issues that already existed, but the pandemic has continue to bring them forward into the light. How have you guys been dividing childcare duties in the uh, pandemic? I think we've always done a good job with that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, like quite honestly, Giselle is their favorite. Uh, there's not really a close second. She's afforded a level of flexibility in her schedule and because she works right here in town and I'm afforded a level of flexibility as well too. It, it, we're lucky in that it's, it, it just works out. I, I love spending time with them. Again, it's it's my favorite thing, quite frankly. So, you know, we always try to have breakfast together, dinner together, even pre and post pandemic, whenever that's feasible, unless I'm in Harrisburg. And it's really co-parenting. I mean, we do yeah. different things, but it really is co-parenting. Yeah, I think we have a really good balance, even with everything, even with chores in the house. Like, it's always been a really good balance. I know it's been so tough for so many people and, and trying to find positivity in a year with so much negativity and our family you know in Pennsylvania has a resilience and we're going to get through this and we're grateful I, I, I don't know how else to articulate it other than 
it's been a long year, but and we've had loss, but a lot of people have too. And I, I think we're going to emerge stronger with a with a, a deeper level of humanity and compassion and understanding of what's important. personally think Pennsylvania is a very special place. I grew up in Bucks County. My my family's from Scranton. Um, I moved back. I dragged my husband back here from California three years ago because I'm like, this is where we're raising our children. Could not agree with you more. I, I, I don't say that as the Lieutenant Governor. I, I love this state dearly, Commonwealth dearly. I was born in this state and they're going to bury me in this state. It's such a special place. It's so unpretentious and authentic and I love it. Uh, I've been to every county multiple times and I appreciate the diversity of industry, of people, of spaces, of food. I mean, just, it's, it's honestly, I, I, I just, I can't, I couldn't love Pennsylvania anymore if I had to. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. A special thanks to Giselle and Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com that's jo at committedpodcast.com you can grab a copy of joe's book how to be married on amazon or wherever books are sold committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in atlanta georgia for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows hey guys joe here This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.